Welcome to Tell Me Who You Really Are, the groundbreaking new podcast giving you unique insights into live coaching sessions with both regular and famous people. Truth-seeking, soul-lifting, profound conversations between me, Joe Emerson, and my clients as they seek to do business with their demons and change their lives. We start season two with Anthony as he seeks to raise his self-esteem and stop being so hard on himself. Last season, we heard only from women, so I'm delighted that two men have agreed to take part this time, and Anthony's story is so relatable. We've coached in the past, and he's one of the loveliest people you will ever meet. So, how does he start believing this about himself? Listen to the full episode as he bravely faces the death of his father when he was a seven-year-old, and the complicated feelings he's had about himself ever since. Listen out for themes of harsh self-criticism, beautiful vulnerability and fear, all of which affect our confidence. All right, so Anthony, tell me what it is you would like to work on in coaching with me today. Okay, um, so I've I've spoken to you a bit in the past, Joe, so we sort of half know each other. And what always seemed to come out of our conversations was you you noticed that I'm, I'm quite hard on myself, really. Um, and my I suppose my self-esteem is possibly lower than I would like it to be. And just, we never really kind of got to the bottom of that. And so really to understand, am I really hard on myself or am I normal? Um, Is there something that's sort of (laughs) lurking around that uh, might explain why I I do set myself sort of up for a fall a bit? Um, And kind of, you know, what's going on? Why, Why is this that I'm... I'm sort of I'm finding it hard to to love myself quite as much as I suppose I'd like to probably. Um, oh bless you, yeah. That makes sense. I remember it makes total sense, and I remember. So we had so just for context, we had a series of coaching sessions, didn't we? Many years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago. Well, not um, like about five years ago, probably. Yeah. Or was it five years ago? Okay, maybe we had I don't know six sessions, twelve sessions, something like that. Um, and then we had a pause and then we met more recently, didn't we? And, and had a, just a, a quick kind of catch up. Yep. Um, and you've always struck me as someone who is um, like deeply compassionate towards other people and someone who struggles to give that compassion to himself. Yep. Hang on. Yeah. Yep. Is that fair? Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I do remember, um, and with, this is without me kind of um, giving away any confidences that you and I shared in the past, but I do remember there being some stuff from when you were growing up that was probably weighing quite heavy on your ability to uh, uh, operate from a place of self-esteem today, yep. that there was a, a pressure. Um, I remember a garden centre... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I remember you feeling um, just a, a, possibly a sense from a very young age of not being good enough. And so I'm wondering, and obviously, you know, we're recording this, so you're not going to want to, like, implicate anybody else or name any names. But I'm just wondering whether you could, for, for, for my um, kind of uh, memory, really, just give me a whistle stop reminder of what it was like for you growing up because usually our self-esteem stuff that stuff that's lurking will be a limiting belief that we picked up when we were very young 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So I um, I grew up a pretty good childhood, really. Um, my father died when I was seven of leukemia, um, and our sort of family business, if you'd like, we was a sort of a third generation family business that my dad ran with his brother was growing plants. Actually, my great great grandfather, I think, started a nursery growing cut flowers in about uh, the early 1900s. So this had passed down through the family. Uh, we live next door to it as kind of part of the, the family identity. So um, sadly, my dad was running it. He was the sort of the, well, you know, as, as it feels like he was the kind of brains behind it and the, the mover and the shaker. He had his um, brother who helped run it, um, who was the real doer. He understood all the machines and the bits and pieces, but my dad was a sort of businessman, if you like. Um, so okay. I was seven when he died. Um and we didn't wildly sort of, you know, you didn't get counselling or that. It was slightly sort of difficult. My mum was obviously very upset. And I was I was sent away to boarding school shortly after that as a, a better place to be for me. I was at home with my mum and my two other sisters. Um, and so it was, it, it, I, I don't know, We we I sort of felt like I've, I've kind of done a bit of stuff on my dad. But it, it does feel like a bit of a um it's a sort of weight on the shoulders that he was you know obviously anyone who dies young always has this always amazing and all that kind of bit and I think as I've gone on a bit more you understand that this sort of family history of success and kind of building big businesses and that sort of thing uh weighs a bit heavily on me I've I've run my own businesses previously but sort of I don't see it as being as successful if you like as as whatever the sort of family business has provided us with it's given us a pretty good sort of um childhood education and house all those sort of things um so so that yeah, sort of your business that maybe has been very a... successful sorry Sorry to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt you. But your business, so your marquee business was incredibly successful, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was OK. Um, but I, yes, I suppose <laughs> I still measure it in the context of, you know, I haven't squirreled away. You know, everyone says I did I did sell my business, but not for a massive amount. Everyone says, oh, you must be a millionaire if you've sold a business. Well, no, it's, it, that's not how it works. So <laughs> I, I think much of this is probably down to money and not, you know, I've earned OK, but I've never maybe lived up to that sort of family expectations where you're squirreling away thousands of pounds for your children, which I, I think weighs a bit on my shoulders. Um, so that's kind of where, but yeah, I've, I've led a career. And then when I met you, I was sort of at a point where I'd had enough of that career and I needed a change. So you, you pulled apart my head and, and then I sort of, I've got rid of the marquee <laughs> business, uh, descended into midlife crisis and, and it's taken me three or four years to kind of pull out of that. And as you say, I've, I've found it in helping other people and helping young people specifically, which feels like a really good place to have ended up. Um, but still just finding, ironically, we, we help young people with their self-esteem. And, and I sort of, sort of often find myself sitting there thinking, come on, I think you should be a little bit better at this sort of thing. Um, I'm quite good at talking to other people about it. But as you say, maybe not so good at talking to myself. So so that's kind of the background. Um, but how much yeah, of that? Yeah, that's relevant? right. I remember. And, um, you know, if, if I could take you back to that seven-year-old boy who lost his dad this icon this icon of the family this icon of business I'm wondering if we could give that seven-year-old boy a voice what he might say Hmm. um it was it was 
I think I was probably more confused than anything. Um, I I wasn't that close. I think I was slightly scared of my father. You know, he worked hard and he came back. I, I felt like I was probably told off quite a lot. So um, it was it was a big loss. But I maybe maybe might have felt a bit guilty that I didn't feel it. You know, I can remember actually the moment when we were told by my mum and um, I was with my two sisters and my mum and and she knelt, she sort of got us down, it was early in the morning and um, said, I'm really sorry, but daddy's died. And the three of them were crying a lot and I felt a little bit guilty that I, you know, you have five minutes of this, right, um, can we get on now and do something else, which is a, bit of a weird yeah. thing to remember. Um, so, um yeah, I, I, I don't know, but it, it certainly wasn't dealt with particularly. It wasn't dealt with in those days, so I couldn't say it dealt with badly. It just, you know, there wasn't there wasn't the mechanisms to to do it like it is nowadays. Um, okay, so he, so the seven year old would say, maybe, what am I supposed to be feeling here? Yeah, 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 and maybe a bit of guilt that I wasn't feeling what maybe I'd sensed other people were feeling and wasn't finding life as difficult and. Um, as you know, maybe I was finding it difficult, but it didn't feel like it was um, it was that horrific at the time. I don't think so. Um, well, no, it's not horrific when someone we're scared of dies. Hmm. I mean, if yeah. we just—I know this is very tough—but if we just stay with reality for a minute, as you know, I do a lot of work with teams, right, and corporate teams, leadership development, and the mission with any team building program, is to mine for the truth. There's a man called Patrick Lencioni who's written a great book about about this, and it's a model. I use his model a lot. And we're mining for the truth. Because when we mine for the truth and we get right down to the truth, then we can normally work out a way to think differently and act differently. And I wonder whether, sorry, for more context, often when we are mining for the truth, we can get sidetracked by other issues mm-hmm. so on a team building thing other issues might be someone hasn't got the same knowledge as someone else or the same experience or the same relationships with other people or longevity within the business or whatever and these can all be like side shoots that we can end up talking about but actually we need to get to the nub of the issue so I'm always pulling people back right to mm-hmm. but what's the truth what what what's the actual issue here and I wonder and this is just like literally this is just me being curious has has how you feel about yourself been wrongly attached to dad's death in that it's a trauma to lose a parent and of course it's a trauma to lose a parent is it more relevant to say that actually having a scary father is possibly is possibly more to do with the issues you have today rather than his death could be um yeah i suppose you feel really guilty don't you sort of admitting that yeah maybe you were a bit scared of him and that sort of doesn't paint him in a great light and and there's not many people who don't paint him in a great light so you don't be the one who's kind of doing that um okay but yeah i i did get told off i was a naughty child so i i did get told off a lot so probably there was an element what did you do that was so naughty? Oh, I just always, um, I don't quite know. And I never quite understood well. I just never was very compliant and just 
sort of shouting a bit and didn't want to be doing stuff. I can remember doing a star across the back of the car because I was refusing to get into the car and being sort of forced in the boot, that sort of thing. So I think just generally being a an, an annoying boy. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, there probably was a lot of being told off, and, and both my sister would say you were you were particularly annoying. Which um, it's fine, it's, it's what was going on. Um, so so yeah, maybe I was getting told off a lot, and that was the overriding feeling. That yeah, maybe it was a bit of a relief. But you do you feel really bad don't you, for saying that? But maybe you fit on it. But but that's you qualifying your feelings within a, a judgment yeah 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 if we yeah. Could just stay with the feeling of maybe a part of me was relieved that this scary person who was always telling me off is now no longer here to scare me and always tell me off yeah like without any judgment without any shoulds without any rubbish about what society deems is acceptable or not, because quite frankly, judging another human being's feeling is like judging the weather. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, they just are, you know, feelings are just pockets of energy flowing through us, right? The, the reaction that we have to stop. Yeah. But if I were to, if I, if I had, so let's imagine that I can time travel and I was able to, go back, come back in time, stay in the age I am now, but sit down with the seven-year-old Anthony and say and say to him, oh, "Just you're totally safe, you can say whatever you like, tell me how you are feeling right now. What do you need? Okay. Um, what would he say? Um... I'm probably feeling really, really vulnerable. Um, yep. I'm feeling really confused. Um, as you say, I'm probably a little bit relieved. Um, yep. Scared. Um, and there's a sort. I, I'm not sure whether there's a bit of a drop of sort of responsibility, as you know, I'm the man of the house now type thing. I'm quite a responsible elder sister. I think took that one on quite heavily, but that might have been going on as well. But um, okay. I think more, I think confusion. I don't, I just don't know what I should be thinking. I know I should be as sad as all these people around me, but maybe I'm not feeling as sad. And therefore, you you know, you've got that guilt bit as well, haven't you? So lots of generally not very helpful emotions. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the really difficult one is the, I should be. So people, people are modeling their feelings. And I'm not feeling them. Mm-hmm. But yep. it's a, I suppose it's a bit like, um, let me think of an example. Um, let, let's go back to like when the Queen died last September. You know, most of the country were, were pretty upset, right? Because this was like yeah. an icon of most of our lives. But there's no way, no way we were anything like as upset as her children and her grandchildren and her closest members of staff, right? Because they'd spent loads and loads of time with her. Similarly, there were people who didn't give two hoots because they're, you know, they're not into the monarchy or whatever. Or, uh, and no one's judging anyone else for their feelings. It's just, it's to do with the relationship we had, people had with that human being. Yeah. yeah? 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess if you'd been to one of her garden parties, you might feel, you know, even more sad than someone like me, who's obviously never been to Buckingham Palace, you know, etc. Okay. Now, yeah. if your dad, if your dad and your, um, if your sisters had a different relationship with your dad, if his expectations of them were different because they were girls and you were a boy, and if the way he treated your mum was different to the way he treated you, then you're going to have a different reaction to his death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Can, can, you, can, I, can I go back to you age six? Mm -hmm. So before dad's maybe poorly, before dad dies, mm -hmm. what does the six-year-old think about being Anthony, dad, you know, like, how, how does the six-year-old feel about himself? Um, I'm honest, I've got absolutely no idea because I, I think I've blocked out quite a lot of that bit before, so I don't really know, and I wasn't a great sort of thinker, I don't think, at that stage of life. Um, so I was pretty happy, happy-go-lucky, and um, I do vaguely remember there was a lot of hospital stuff but again, I didn't, I don't sort of carry that particularly heavily. It was just, well, you know, we've got to go and visit daddy in hospital. And that's, that's kind of, and probably, probably found it quite tedious as, as one does at that stage of life. I just wanted to be playing football and on my bike sort of thing. Um, so quite Could the sort six of year old, carefree. Sorry really. to interrupt. Could the six-year-old tell me about his father? Could he describe him or the five-year-old? Like, can, do you have a pre dad death memory not particularly no like i say i i do remember being told off um and i do remember getting locked in my room occasionally but you know um locked in your room yeah that was that annoying i think <laughs> um would you lock one of your kids in their rooms um probably not no um no no Probably not, or definitely not? No, I wouldn't. You're right. No. What does that say if you're locking someone in their room? Yeah, it's quite hard, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you find it really difficult to be with the... I remember this, you know, from our previous sessions, Anthony, you find it really difficult to be with the truth of how difficult it was sometimes because mm -hmm. there's like a protector part in your brain that just wants to shut that down and go, no, it was fine. Yeah. yeah. It was a bit tricky, but it was fine. You know, we weren't starving. I wasn't being beaten, so therefore it was fine. Yeah. And then there's this little truth teller in you that wants to bubble up and say, you know what, I was locked in my room and I was terrified of my dad and being locked in my room was horrible. Mm -hmm. It's a very disempowering thing to... It's different, like, to putting a stair gate on a child's bedroom to like a little one to keep them safe so mm -hmm. they don't fall down the bloody stairs while everyone's asleep. That's, that's very different to what it's, 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 it's penal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fair point. Yeah. But it, it was, it was like, I get that it was the time I get that, you know, you grew up at a similar time to me, the seventies, it was, um, very different yeah mm -hmm. how it is now um uh, thankfully but um 
that kind of stuff sends a very clear message. You, I, 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 my, my sense is that you grew up with the message that Anthony's a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. and Anthony's a disappointment, mm-hmm. and Anthony's not good enough. Yeah, yeah, I've never thought about it like that, but yeah. And then you get bloody well sent away to boarding school. So the bloody tyrant, sorry, but the tyrant person dies. Uh, with all due respect to your dad, I'm sure he was many, many other things as well as being a bit tyrannical, but he was tyrannical towards you. Your memory, mm-hmm. uh, your reality was that he was quite tyrannical. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because he was stressed, probably because he had his own pressure from his own childhood. You know, that story is playing on repeat down through the generations. Yeah. But there's, um, there's you know, the messaging from him was pretty negative towards you. And boys definitely model themselves on how their dads see them and their mums. But dads are a huge influence with boys. And then he dies and you get sent away. Hmm. So it's like, I'm not even good enough to stay here and kind of help look after mum and stuff. I've now got to go. Mm-hmm. What was boarding school like? Um, it was it was okay. I was incredibly homesick um, for a long time, but it was it was okay. I, I I enjoyed it, but but I was always really homesick actually. Um, oh yeah, you wanted your mum, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. Um, but it was, you know, I got on okay, and but yeah, it, it was hard. I think so. Yeah. Okay. See what I see from this, from this, this kind of top of the mountain, kind of looking down the valley, um, uh, three sixty view I'm able to have, right? Because I'm, it didn't happen to me. What I see is a seven year old boy who feels like he's a disappointment to his dad, who acts out to try and get some any sort of attention, and then that doesn't work, right? So drawing the star on the back of the car, whatever, um, you know, it, all it does is get you into more trouble. But probably there's a part of you going, please just, like, be with me and listen to me and, like, mm-hmm. know who I actually am, human being. Um, but, you know, parents back then didn't mm-hmm. know what we know now, so it's not to blame anyone. But there's this seven-year-old who's grown up with the messaging that he's not... Who he is is not acceptable. Then Dad dies... So he loses one parent and then immediately after he loses another because he gets sent away from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite hard to hear, isn't it? That sort of thing. But no, it's fair. But is anything of what I've said not true? No, not really. No, I think that's all fair. Yeah, it's just really hard, isn't it? When, you know, you only hear good about your your dead parents and, and therefore you sort of feel like you're being really unloyal to... They actually know I was I was probably scared of him and um you know why do you think people only say good things about him now he's dead? Because um, I don't know, I everyone's only ever nice about dead people, aren't you? You can't be unpleasant about dead people. <laughs> it's always um, right. I had but, a mentor once who when someone in my family who was really awful died and I was deciding whether to go to the funeral or not her what she said to me was just because someone's died doesn't stop them being a c word Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
and it was like oh yeah actually um we we are always like I get the respect for the dead thing I completely get that but I believe that the truth is far more truth is more important than respect mm-hmm. yeah 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 in fact it's almost it, you know honoring honoring a memory of someone who wasn't that person isn't honoring their memory mm-hmm. it's just honoring a hologram yeah the hologram of dad now that doesn't mean that the people who speak nicely about him didn't have a, a better experience of him than you mm-hmm. right and they're entitled to feel positively about dad mm-hmm. that doesn't change your reality though yeah yeah no maybe he just wasn't an amazing dad you know that's and you know given that there were seven years probably two of those he was ill anyway um and the rest, I was probably quite an annoying baby. I was quite stressed and all those sort of things. So, yeah. Were you the youngest? Yep, yep. Okay, so they already had two kids and then there's another one yep. coming along. Yeah, two older sisters. So, Do you think he had expectations of what having a son was going to be like and the reality was different? Probably, yes. Because yeah. what's what's what I love most about you, I've known you a long time, Whenever I hear from you, you know, my heart grows a bit because what I love most, one of the things I love most about you is you are so compassionate and you are so sensitive. You're a, fee- you're a really sentient man. You're a man who feels things. Well, back in the 1970s, boys who felt stuff were not deemed to be boys. Mm-hmm. You know, you men were supposed to shut down and just be strong and go out and, you know earn money and bring it home and build things in the back garden and go out on a Friday nights with your mates and get pissed. And, you know, yeah. that was, that was the expectation. You have, you've, you're, you're not, you were not born into that body. You were not born into that psyche. That's not who you are. Mm-hmm. So maybe dad was disappointed, but that's his stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you think, do you think it could be true that dad was, Disappointed in you? Um, I yeah, I mean, again, you, you can't sort of say yes because there was something that made me feel that. But, you know, when you put it like that, that I probably was very sensitive, which probably got sort of increased by his death, I would imagine. Um, yeah, but all of, of that, the homesickness bit at school, I always felt really, you know, not very boyish, you know, all, everyone was off sort of having a good time and I was there crying in my bed sort of thing. Um, so, so yeah, I was, and I'd never quite looked at it that way where, yeah, I was just really, really sensitive from a young age. Um, and, and yeah, as a, in that world of, as you say, 1970s where dad goes to work and he, he sort of played golf at the weekends and that sort of thing. So yeah, maybe mm. I was not quite what he'd imagined. Um, so, yeah, that all fits together, actually. That's a fair point. Well made. You know, we, um, I know I know it's hard to hear. I know, I know. But can I, can I just, um, let's just bring you back to today, right? And I want you to imagine that um, one of the young people that you're working with um, in your amazing charity tells you a similar story to the one you've told me about the the loss of a parent who 
was actually quite tyrannical and then being sent away from home and, and crying on his bed and you know not not being comforted and having to just kind of crack on I'm wondering what you would feel towards that young person hmm you got me there yeah that'd be really hard um yeah I just feel his his pain wouldn't I so um yeah, and you just want to sort of put your arms around him and say it'll be fine, and that'll work out. And um, and you've got to sort of do it your way, haven't you? And and sort of move on. And it, you know, he'll have his view on how that works. And um, um, but actually, you know, you're great just the way you are. And um, mm-hmm. and actually, understanding that being sensitive is is all right actually as life goes on it was you know it was tough being a boy who who found those things difficult in the sort of 70s and 80s but as you get a bit older you realize no that's all right actually but oh my god i think it's a superpower in men there's nothing sexier i'm sure ness your wife would agree with me there's nothing sexier than a man who's in touch with his feelings well you know there's kindness is the new sexy i'm telling you now i've said i said it to somebody the other day you know, a, 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 a man who can um, can cry, can empathise, and a woman. You know, men and women who are in touch with who they are, their feelings, is a beautiful thing. There is no way Ness would have married you if you were one of those alphas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. I'm, I'm speaking on her behalf, but I imagine if when she listens to this, she'll be like, yeah. And obviously, no, I don't know as well as I know you, but no, I think know, I, I pretend I pretend to be an alpha for a while. I think, and um, <laughs> was she fooled? Not sure. So, um, no, that's all. No, that's really insightful, actually. Um, so, what would you? What would you be off? So that 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 boy, this imaginary boy, who's just told you about this very, very, very traumatic childhood. You'd be putting your arm around him. You'd be wanting to give him a hug. You'd be wanting to say to him, it's going to be all right and I'm here for you. Would you understand that... What would you understand about him? Like, from a prof, sort of from a professional point of view, I know you've done some coach training yourself. What would you, what would you understand about him and, and, and what he might need? Um, I think he would just need, he just needs some love actually, doesn't he? Um, and to be sort of recognized for how he is and, and what he is and what he's been through. Um, and, um, just just understanding that yeah that that has been difficult there are so many emotions that will have cropped up which will have been really confusing um and trying to get those ordered and i mean you know as well as anyone i've i've had a lot of emotions rattling around in my head for quite a long time and and Mm. and it's taken me till i was sort of late 40s to begin to actually address that and understand it so um but giving him the those tools to think actually the others will be this will take a while to sort out but you know the way you feel is the way you feel and that's that's absolutely fine but you know you've got to you've got to get it out and you've got to talk about it and um 
but yeah, you, you really need to be loved for who you are, don't you, really, rather than anyone else who you thought you probably should have been. So, right. I'm hoping to understand right. that bit. And, you know, it's very unlikely, well, you weren't loved for who you are by Dad, because Dad wasn't able to for, for whatever reason. Mum was stuck in her own fear and then grief after he died. And then you get sent to boarding school where, you know, I, again, I from from what I've read, I didn't go to boarding school. I went to a, a, a comp, a, a local comprehensive. But um, from what I gather from boarding schools, certainly in the 70s and 80s, they were nourishing, nurturing places where, you know, the the um, sensitivities in the heart of a child were were mm. paramount. Yeah. They were sort of quite military, I think, in yeah. there. You know, yeah. And some people thrived in that. You know, there is a thing called boarding school syndrome. So whenever someone says that they went to boarding school, there's a red flag for me to be checking for boarding school syndrome, which is all about abandonment. Yeah. Um, and a lot, a lot of my clients uh, um, who've been to boarding school suffer with this chronic fear of abandonment because they were sent to boarding school too early, mm-hmm. too young. Um but then I equally have other clients who are like, no, I bloody loved boarding school. I went when I was 13, had the best time, yeah. you know. I, so, you know, it's not a, you know, not everyone suffers. And, of course, boarding schools are completely different today than they were back then. Um, yeah. Because, again, thankfully, the world's moved on. But um, you, I, I just feel for you that there's never been an opportunity for you to, well, there wasn't as a child any safe place for you to be Anthony like really you Mm -hmm. and so we go into fight flight freeze mode yeah Mm -hmm. and one of the ways in which we fight is to pretend to be someone we're not Mm -hmm. we dissociate Um, and another way in which we kind of fight is to make up fantasies about who people are or were but also the fantasy that if I'm always to blame, if I'm the one that's not good enough, then possibly I can fix that. And possibly that means that I can rely on these other people. Yeah. To actually look back now as an adult and go, actually, those adults weren't reliable. That's too scary to, that's too scary to admit when you're a child because your very survival hangs on these adults. Mm-hmm. But now when you're, I presume you're in your 50s, because I'm I'm sure we're the same age. So um, now we're in our 50s, we're adults, quite old adults, actually, um, with our own, like, nearly adult children. We can, it's easier, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier to look back and think, gosh, you know, I I wasn't, it wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't safe. Which again is just a really difficult sort of sentence to hear. You just feel that sort of guilt of, oh my God, you know, my mother worked so hard to keep us all right. And, and we, we were all right. And, you know, happy childhood was, you know, you always say, oh, it's a happy childhood, all that bit. But I think, no, you, you've nailed it. But underneath, there was a lot of turmoil going on um, mm. and just grappling with, you know, yeah, where am I? where am I safe really? And it probably took till I was sort of 18 or so just to wind out of that and, and find yeah. some different stuff. So, so yeah, it, it was probably harder than I imagined actually. 
It's harder than you've allowed yourself to believe. It was definitely harder than you have allowed yeah. it to be. But if you could get present with the reality, the reality starts to get easier to be with. This is the thing is, it's that what you resist persists. Truth, yeah. Carl Jung, I believe. Um, although I first heard it from Tony Robbins, the American coach who was just, I, I think the guy's great. Marmite, definite Marmite, but I love Tony Robbins. Yeah. He's, he talks about what resist persists. If you are resisting the reality of how it was for you to grow up, it is going to keep banging on your door saying, I need to be heard, I need to be heard, I need to be heard. Mm-hmm. If you could, and this may be a bit of piece of psychotherapy you may need to go and do, if you could get okay with the realities of the past, which, by the way, will include the fact that mum worked really hard to keep you guys okay. This is not a binary thing. It's not my childhood was all shit or it was all good. Like, mum worked hard. Dick, that's true. I wasn't allowed to be who I was, and therefore I suffered. Tick, also true. I was sent away to boarding school and was deeply homesick, and that was probably the worst thing for me. Tick, also true. Mum sending me to boarding school is what she thought was the best thing for me. Tick, also true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, you know, we can get so black and white in our thinking about these things, especially when we're in fear. But if you could get, if you could spend some time being with the reality that the reason you are so hard on yourself still is because it was the only way you survived. Mm -hmm. Shut down. Do not feel. Do not think. Do not have a... Do not be relieved that Dad's dead. That's wrong. Mm. You know, we can grieve and also be relieved. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad was a very different character to yours, but he died when I was 26. But he'd had a long, hideous illness for like five, six years. It was awful, awful to watch. Um, and of, of course, I was devastated when he died, but I was also relieved that he didn't have to go through all of that and we didn't anymore. And I don't feel guilty for feeling that relief now. I yeah. did at the time, but you know, I was like 26 or whatever. Yeah. But it's. You know, it's it's all right. Well, it, it's all right because it is it is what was happening. Yeah. No, as you say, it, it, it's just getting underneath the skin, which is it's really awkward to do, isn't it? And it and it makes you feel rather bad and unloyal and all those sort of things. But no, it was just probably and I, you know, having been through the father bit, and I'm still have been, and maybe this could help me to. You know what was what was the real impact of my father's death? And I never really got to the bottom of that question. But maybe well, I think the, the the better question, or the, the oh, sorry, but possibly more what what might be a a more poignant question would be what was the impact of my dad? Mm. What was the impact of me being his son? Yeah. Rather than we hooking, do you remember what I was saying about I don't know twenty minutes ago? Rather than it being about his death, what if it was actually about being his child, being this boy who felt like he wasn't man enough or good enough or sensible enough or or, or whatever it was expected of him? Yeah. 
which to be fair, I don't really think about. So, no. for whatever reason. Well, and also, so. also, you said it yourself, you blocked out most of your memories before before Dad died. Why do we block things out? Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> Why do we block things out? Because it's not great, normally. Oh, right, yeah, 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 because we can't, because we can't cope with it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's too painful, it's too scary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There is, um, there is, I, I know how hard you've worked on yourself and I know like how enormously far you've come um, from the person, you know, the person I first met to, you know, doing what you're mm-hmm. doing now. Mm-hmm. I would, um, and this, obviously this is completely up to you, but you know, I do, I do, th- I do think a, 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 um, a round of psychotherapy, I don't mean counselling, I mean psychotherapy, completely different to straight counselling, which is brilliant in lots of areas. But actually, what you're dealing with here is trauma. Mm-hmm. There's a deeply traumatised part of you. I think the boarding school thing is huge. Yeah. Um, and there is a therapist I can recommend for you to work with she's she's unbelievably brilliant when it comes to to trauma and it may be that you know you're ready now to lift that lid and and go and do that deeper piece of work and be as you call it disloyal I I personally do not think of it as a disloyalty at all I think of it as just being with the truth yeah but um if you want me to do that I can yeah interesting and all of this, what? yeah, go on, you, you carry on. No, you, no, you go. And in the, and in this sort of just being hard on yourself, it, this all just flows through from this general feeling that actually I'm, you're just grappling to be good enough from a very young age, really. That's, that's the reality, yeah. isn't it, I guess, yeah. Well, I'm not good enough is one of the core beliefs of most of most, most, most of my clients who are battling with their confidence, because obviously I do a lot of executive work as well. But most of my private clients, the core belief when they come to me is I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what we work on. Yeah. And if there's, you know, if there's been serious amounts of trauma involved, which, you know, I would say you qualify for that. Sometimes a piece of psychotherapy is needed as well. For someone to be really, really free. You yeah. know, it, it, you have to look back at you know uh, uh, that's why I kind of referenced your journey you know from when I first met you you've mm-hmm. you've made such enormous strides you've come on such a huge way you know it's not like you're stuck where you were however many years ago I met you like that dial has moved but there's more work to be done yeah yeah no I thought I sort of comfortably thought that I'd, I'd sorted myself out and everything was all right now. Oh, I know <laughs> I think we all get we all get we all get stuck in that one I'm it, done uh, now I'm I've done a bit of work I can stop now and crack on um, <laughs> and then the universe is like oh I just like to bring this thing up and, you're, oh, and I'm God. like seriously really yeah. that again um, um, but it's layers and layers but the one thing I do know because I'm you know we're all a work in progress right and I you know have a coach and I've been through I've been through rounds of counselling and psychotherapy myself, and each time I go in to another round of whatever, whatever I need, um, you know, and I'm talking over the last like thirty years. Each time, even though there's some pain comes up, each time I go and do some work on it, the freedom on the other side 
mm-hmm. is so worth the pain beforehand. Yeah. You know, and I've come to see that emotional pain is 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 my authentic self calling to me and saying it's time to do a little bit more work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, you are doing such brilliant work, like such important brilliant work right now the freer you are the better you'll be able to help those young people so if you're not going to do it for yourself which I would rather you do it for yourself if you're not going to do it for you do it for those people because the skills you'll pick up and the empathy and the understanding of what they're going through will will be through the roof I said to someone only yesterday I was coaching and I, I said you know I was a really good coach before I had psychotherapy since psychotherapy I'm a, an, a swear word amazing coach and that sounds really cocky, but it's like it's skyrocketed since I had psychotherapy, you know, and it kind of coincided with winning an award and my book being published and all the rest of it. But there's a and it's definitely as a result of, you know, doing a deeper piece of work. What's the difference between psychotherapy and counselling then? How, how does that vary? Um, well, you're probably better off asking a counsellor or a psychotherapist that question. But in my experience, counselling is a, like a lot of listening and a lot of kind of um, mirroring back and um, uh, a lot of uh, just provi- not just providing a very safe space for someone to kind of start opening up about who they are and what's been going on. Psychotherapy, my experience of psychotherapy is um, a re-experiencing of trauma in a safe space. Um, so allowing, so my body got involved with psychotherapy. So there was a somatic re-experiencing of some very traumatic stuff that happened that I definitely locked away. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the other, and the other thing with psychotherapy is it's that journeying to the shadow self. It is going down into the very depths of ourselves, the bits of us we don't like, and hauling them out and having a good look at them and kind of becoming at peace. Yeah with so it's um it's deeper it's more intense it's the kind of i suppose if um counseling is um is uh, the beginner slopes then psychotherapy is those like red runs yeah, yeah. black runs okay. yeah. Yeah. but you know but the free honestly the freedom on yeah. the other side yeah no I've, I've sort of seen firsthand when just life opens up a bit yeah and it is just sort of opening that it's that mining the truth isn't it you can tell once a, when it comes out it's it's always makes you feel better in the long run doesn't it quite painful in the short it run does, it does and don't forget you've got you've got the most loud protectors of of internal protectors i'm talking about of, of of anyone i've probably ever worked with like you will allow me to hear a bit of truth and then your protectors will shut it down but it was okay but that's that's not how i should that's not how i should be feeling um you know, it's not, you know, other people didn't experience it like that. Like your protectors are really alive and kicking in you. So it's, you know, it's it's worth you. It, what happens when we do a, the, the deeper piece of work is those protectors start to feel a little bit held and a little bit like they need to, they yeah. don't have to be quite so on it all the time, like shutting everything down. They sort of calm down and think, okay, I can I can be with this. I can be with this. What are you going to do? What's the What's the main thing you've, or the main thing or things you've, you're going to take away from this? Um, I think it's that question, isn't it, of what was it like to be my dad's son, actually, um, which I've never really dealt with at all. 
and I've always been rather fixated on his death. Um, and actually, it's a really good question that, um, you know, actually, you just assume that a death has a far bigger impact on hmm. you, because that's what we're taught. But, but actually, um, not necessarily. So, um, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, so, yeah, I think just just beginning to think about that, which I've, I've never done, and understanding that, okay, yeah, no, that is it's really important, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's played a huge part. So just yeah. learning to be comfortable with it, actually, as you say, it's it's facing up to a truth that probably don't really want to face up to, but it's there, isn't it? No. But, you know, I do think in a weird kind of way that actually it's an honouring to our late parents for us to become free. Like, you know, they are, I don't know where, we, none of us know where they are, right? They could mm. be in heaven, they could be wandering around like atoms in the universe, they could be a dog in India now. I mean, who knows, right? None of us actually mm-hmm. knows. But let's imagine that they are, you know, free, their souls are free of doing nothing because there is nothing or floating around, you know, in the universe, deciding where to land next. Mm. On, a, on that metaphysical quantum kind of level, they are not going to want you still stuck. Mm-hmm. They're going to be thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't been so hard on him. Your dad, you know, if, if he is free now, be thinking, I wish I hadn't been so hard on him. I wish I just loved the boy he was and, and said, who do you want to be? You know, let me help you become that person. Um. So in a way, you know, doing this work is an honouring of yeah. of whatever energetic state they're in now. And I know I sound really woo-woo when I say all of no, that, no. but I, I'm being deliberately kind of uh, evasive with, with my language because, like, none of us really knows, right? No, um, no that's – um, uh, no, thank you, Joe. That's really – Oh, you're so Lots welcome. of food I love, I love coaching you. I was sort of, I was here this morning thinking there's actually no way she's going to make me cry today. But <laughs> you've managed it. I think every time I've spoken to you, you always just uh, go in there with a knife and turn. So, which is good. I love it. So that's really good for oh, me. I'm so sorry. thank you. <laughs> I was going to say, sorry. but you know what I always say though? When the tears come, we've hit the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's every single time when the tears come, we've hit the truth. And, you know, truth is what we're seeking. Um, it's been such a pleasure, such a pleasure to to coach you again. Um, well done, great. Thank work. you, thank you, Joe. You're amazing as ever. Lovely to have a chat. If you'd like to build your self esteem, here's what I'd suggest: write down all the messages you picked up about yourself when you were young. What old stories are you still dragging around with you? Secondly, ask yourself: Are these messages really true about me today? Number three, now ask yourself. What else could be true? And four, give yourself a day in which you only believe the new version of events and notice how differently you start to feel about yourself.